Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Holy Hartman! Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Excellent! With your host, Brad Allen. Well, isn't that extra special? Recorded live at Bay Area Studios. Join Brett each week as he interviews celebrities, influencers, authors, high-level entrepreneurs, and much more. At the open mic, no topic is off limits. Giddy up. And you never know who may stop by. Now, here's your host, Brett Allen. Happy Tuesday and welcome into another episode of the show. It's great to be here with you today. Rob Paulson is our guest, voiced actor extraordinaire, and we will get to that in just a moment. But I have some housekeeping announcements. Housekeeping announcements. Did you get that? (laughs) That was a horrible impression, but a classic movie. Tommy Boy, hashtag not sponsored. We have some fun things lined up for you. So a couple things. First of all, we are going to one show a week. That'll be every Tuesday a new episode will drop. I want to give you, my listeners, my loyal fans, an opportunity to really soak in the episode and just to get as much content out of it as you possibly can. So one show a week. We are also starting a brand new Patreon account. That's right. Patreon.com forward slash the open mic podcast. And there you can become a Patreon member. We have all kinds of benefits for you. Free merchandise, exclusive interviews, video, all of that. We're kicking that off. Things are bubbling for the show, and so we want to maximize the most out of it that we can and make sure that you, the listener, get the best quality content available. So Patreon, one show a week. I've done enough talking. Our guest today is Rob Paulson, and the name might not ring a bell. However, he is a voiceover actor and a maniacs. The list goes on and on. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The list goes on and on. He has over 520 IMDb credits. Just one of the nicest people that you could ever possibly imagine. He also is a cancer survivor. He is part of the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance. He is a spokesperson for that. And he speaks out on cancer awareness, getting tested, getting screened, all of those things. And he also has a book as well. Voice Lessons, How a Couple of Ninja Turtles, Pinky, and an Animaniac Saved My Life. All fantastic. All things that you should check out. Rob, welcome to the show, my friend. It is great to have you today. Thanks for hanging out with me. Thank you, Brett. It uh, it sure beats being in jail. Not that I know, but um, <laughs> okay. I'm very... I'm breathing and I'm not in jail, but the day's not over yet. So far, so good. I'm glad to be with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good thing that you're not in jail, but... I guess you've yeah. been in quarantine and lockdown. That's kind of like jail, I guess, on some levels, maybe, right? <laughs> Folks, ladies and gentlemen, what you just heard is a professional segue from a very smart interviewer. Um, he he went from jail to quarantine. Very hip, my friend. Um, yeah, I, I like all of us, of course, dealing with, uh, let me put it this way, I, I'm old enough to know, uh, to have a perspective as an older person, uh, about what real inconvenience is, um, having been through my own personal trials and tribulations that I think sort of come only with age. And uh, so, yeah, under the circumstances, this is a drag, n- not for me, because I can work from home and I'm healthy, knock wood and all of that. I get to talk to you and others. But the people who've lost their jobs and the folks who are, who are unable to work and have dealt with COVID and have lost people. And, and on top of that, all the, you know, the, the, the other issues that both are very difficult and present enormous 
wonderful opportunities for change. Uh, this is, uh, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but man, the, this circumstance, this whole circumstance is so unique uh, and, and both in, in very difficult and very hopefully positive ways. So bo- bottom line is I'm just fine and I'm I'm doing great. So thank you for asking. Well, that's fantastic. And, and that is true. I mean, for those tuning in who don't know who Rob is, you will know by the end of the interview, but you, I'm sure you know, you've heard of him. You've heard his voice on many different cartoons and characters, and we will get into all of that here briefly, but you, you get to work from home. So that is a plus for sure. So Boy, I imagine, that, that's for sure. yeah, I imagine since we've been in this kind of situation, you've probably been working and recording. Do you, just as a side question here, I'm assuming you have a studio in your home and all of that. So you can kind of just do everything as, as voiceovers from home. People call into you and you just send them the samples and everything that they need or, or the voice that you're voicing. Well, yes and no studio with me is in quotes and a very small S I, um, I, I don't have a proper studio at home and I really don't, I've not needed one till now. Sure. And I don't really care to have one. I, uh, I love uh, being with the other actors, Brett. Um, when I, I'm better around them. When you're surrounded by people like Maurice LaMarche and Frank Welker and Tress McNeil and Tara Strong, Billy West, et cetera, uh, it, it just makes you so much better at, at your job. Um, and it's, a, it's a, just a great group of people to be around, creative, talented, smart, sensitive, kind people. Um, and I don't know, I've done 2,500 half hours of animation, all of which have been done in a studio setting in Hollywood over the last, I don't know, 30 odd years. Um, so I am able to work from home now, but it was out of necessity. And fortunately we have the technology that enables me and others to do it. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm still kind of, uh, and, and I, I actually just did get some equipment to make it a little more, uh, convenient and, and more, um, uh, broadcastable if you like. Sure. Um, but I really want to be with the other people. I'm I'm an old dog and I'm learning new tricks, but um, as they say, a high tide raises all boats and uh, I'm not as good by myself. Um, It's not false modesty. I'm good at my job. I should be. I put in my 10,000 hours, et cetera, but you can't help but get better when you've got people around you who themselves are better than you. It just, it, it makes you shine. So I can do it. And I'm grateful to have it, but I'm looking forward to going back to uh, to work in the studio setting. I can imagine. And just looking at your IMD page, IMDb page, you have over 520 credits. Most of us know really? you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Is that surprising wow. to you? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I've talked to other voice actors in the past. Uh, Jim Meskimen, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Oh, I love Jim. Jim is great. I love him. I know him. I know him very well. I'm one of the few people that he allows to he allows me to call him Jimbo. Nice. And I adore him. <laughs> yeah, what he was a talented. Yeah. Oh my God, is he unbelievable? Well, yeah, and not to name drop, but yeah, he is great. And we had a fun conversation about a year or so ago, and we were talking about similar things in the fact that you know he can work from home, but he prefers to be in the studio and working. Yeah with other people because of the fact that, you know, there's that energy. I mean, today with the way films are made, 
you know, it seems like from just an outsider's perspective, you know, you record from home, it takes a couple hours and you send off your files, uh, you know, voice over IP or whatever system is set up and you're done. And that's great if you want to get something done quick and dirty, he says. But really, if you want to just maximize your ability as an actor, because what people don't realize, I think, is that a voice actor is more than just, you know, making noises with your mouth. Uh, you know, there's emotion, yeah. there's feeling, and it's just like being an, it is being an actor because you're acting with other people, you're responding, you're reacting well, and emotionally, right? Exactly. Acting is acting, period, bottom line. Jim's background is he's first, he was first an artist. He's an incredibly yes. talented artist, fine artist. He was an animator as well with, I think, uh, Thundercats back in the day in New York, if I'm not mistaken. But he also comes from a profoundly gifted showbiz family. Talk oh, about, goodness. You know, a big showbiz tree. His mom is Mrs. Cunningham, you know, um, Marion Ross. And and um, Jimmy, his improv skills and his impression skills. Matter of fact, he has a website called Jim Pressions, which folks should check out. It's, it's remarkable what he can do. But yeah, look, all of us, uh, there are more and more, let me back up a little bit. There are more and more people coming along, younger folks, probably people who are listening, who are interested in becoming voice actors specifically as a result of the, the ubiquity of tons of animation now mm-hmm. and video games. And they're inspired by many people who work prim- or are known for work primarily with their voice. However, virtually everyone whom you and your listeners would know in terms of actors who created iconic utterly believable, memorable animated characters like uh, have, like me, a background in stage, improv, theater, music, film, TV, all of that. And that's how we got started. Acting, as I said earlier, is acting. Voice acting, in my view, is small v, large a. The reason you like Bender from Futurama or uh, The Brain from Pinky and the Brain or um, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants is because those actors, John DiMaggio, Maurice LaMarche, and Tom Kenny are really good actors. Mm-hmm. And what, even when you see them in on-camera stuff or things that you realize that it's them and you didn't know it was them, they imbue their characters with utter authenticity, just like any good actor should. And, the reason Bugs is still successful 75 years later, because Mel Blanc was a wonderful actor. Uh, now, Chuck Jones was a wonderful actor with his pen, and we ain't got nothing without a script. Man, I don't draw them, and I don't write them. But animation is one of those deeply collaborative efforts that when it works the way it, we like it to work, you end up with Bugs and Daffy and Mickey and Goofy and Marge and Homer, it, you know, it's the timeless characters will be remarkably relevant long after those of us who perform them are dead. And that's it just no different to me than watching Chinatown or, uh, um, you know, the longest day or whatever. They're iconic pieces of American art and they're well-performed in all aspects. And yes. that to me is what, what is, what this is about. It's another medium of expression primarily built around comedy but it is nonetheless acting and i'm very proud to be associated with it yes and you should be 
And with so many fantastic credits to your name, I don't want to bury the headline here, but Yakko Warner from Animaniacs, Pinky from Pinky and the Brain, Carl from Jimmy Neutron, uh, just to name a few, Sir Kirby from Doc McStuffins, all of which I'm familiar with because I have a five and a half year old. And for about oh, a year, my goodness. for a year or so, <laughs> my son was saying narf to every single thing that narf. I would ask him to do. So thank Good you man, for man. that <laughs> indirectly. Uh, and uh, I would try and get him to perform it on camera. And of course, he wouldn't do it, uh, you know, because that's of how course. kids are. But you've had so many credits to your name. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original series, of course. Uh, DuckTales, yep. I mean, just on and on and on. But I want to change gears here for a little bit and talk about that persona that you have. Because in 2016, you were diagnosed with cancer. And I was. I was reading your book, which is fantastic, by the way, Voice Lessons, which we will put in our show notes as well. But I feel like it's important to highlight this, that you were told by the doctor that we are here to save your life, not your career. I want to go to that moment and and talk about that. If you can clarify that or kind of go, what were you thinking? What were you feeling when you were given this information? What, What was it that you were going through in that very moment? All excellent questions, and I'm privileged not only to be here physically, but to be in a position in which you are kind enough to ask me about that, because as a result of kindness of the kindness of people like you, uh, we never know, Rhett, when someone who's listening to your show will hear us discussing my cancer circumstance, um, because sadly, everybody knows somebody been touched with cancer. However, you never know when you and I'll be talking and somebody hears something that resonates with them and helps them. And that is what this is. That's why this is important. But in my case, yes, you're correct. Essentially what the doctor said was, um, we're virtually sure we can cure you. This is a treatable form of cancer. Uh, it was stage three. I found it early enough that the doctors found it early enough. I had a lump on the left side of my neck. Um, but it are, the lump was the area to which the cancer had already spread from the base of my tongue and my throat. And um, the doctor said, here's the deal. We're virtually sure we can cure you. 80% chance, great odds. However, before we do, we almost have to kill you. And I asked Brett for that uh, cold reality without trying to sound too dramatic. I said, no, no, give me the straight dope. I'm not 25 with two kids. I'm not, you know, this isn't my son you're talking about. This is me. And I'm, I've taken a few punches. And I didn't know what I'm dealing with. And they said, yeah, the treatment for obvious reasons, your mouth, your throat, it's brutal. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. You can't eat. You can't sleep. It's hard. Um, But I'm through it. I'm okay. And they did say, our job is to save your life. Whether or not, I mean, you will be able to speak, Rob. We don't know if you'll be able to do your job at the same level where you can do yakko. Um, Or girl. Uh, Oh, pinky. um, Clearly, I can. And that was something that was up in the air. And that was what was most disconcerting. Not the difficulty, not the pain. Nobody wants that. But, you know, as they say, pardon me, and you can bleep this out, shit happens. And it happens to all of us. Um, No one, no one, no one gets out of here without a couple of dings. 
and you have this sweet boy in your life. My sweet boy is 36 now. But at the very moment, Brett, that I was getting the phone call about the fact that I was, in fact, uh, I had, in fact, been diagnosed with cancer, it occurred to me that, that at, at that very moment, parents in your situation, in terms of having a sweet young baby, were getting the same phone call about their child, mm-hmm. about their five-year-old, or about their 12-year-old, or about an accident. And it just is part of life. So even if I hadn't been able to get through it and they said, look, here's the deal. We're going to make you comfortable, but you better go home and get your stuff in order because you're on your way out. I had nothing, zero, about which to be sad, about which to be, oh, no, poor me. Not at all. Not at all. I had had a full life. I've done more than I ever thought I would do career-wise. I have the best of the best who are my friends, and they're the best of best of friends uh, I have a family and a wife and son who have been profoundly supportive and all of that, Emmys and Peabody Awards and Annie Awards and money and all of the things that anyone could want. But that's not what they told me. So here we are a few years later. I'm fine. I have, to be sure, side effects that will be permanent, none of which are so onerous that they make life impossible. They make life different. And I think People who have suffered, that's not the right word, had the right, had challenge. Uh, suffering is more, yeah, I did, I suffered with a small S. I hurt for a, a few months. Suffering is a lot different for people with children, or, you know what I'm saying. And so sure. in my case, uh, it was a real drag, utterly life changing, utterly physical changing. I'm now Rob 2.0. But you know what? I have a platinum lining to my story, precisely because of what you're allowing me to do. And that is something for which I'm profoundly grateful because now I'm not only able to make a living and do my gig at the same level as before, but I have a sense of empathy that I never would have had were it not for that experience. Because when I speak to someone, either uh, like we are now, and I'm speaking to them virtually or, or speaking to them you know, uh, in quotes, I, and I say, I know what I'm talking about. I really do. I know how uncomfortable it is. I know how frightening it is. I know what it means to my family and to look at your own kid through the haze of, you know, Vicodin-induced going, I don't know where the hell I am, and have your own son look at you like, holy crap, is that my father? You know, that's my dad. My dad's always been the guy who's taken a punch, and, you know, and he's just like, he looks like he's on his way out. And that's a very difficult thing to see in your child's eyes, you know? Mm-hmm. So I know what I know what that's all about now. And I love this opportunity to talk about it because um, this is, while it is becoming more prevalent, head and neck cancer, when they're caught early, not unlike colon cancer, is very treatable. If you don't treat it, not only is it deadly, but it is not a pleasant way to go out. I mean, when they start hacking off pieces of your face and your jaw and the roof of your mouth and all of that, just to keep you alive, it really ends up. And I'm I'm being presumptuous, I know, but I don't know that that is a great way to live. So I can't um, imagine it would be. Yeah. So I, I, you know, we have we see our the late great Roger Ebert. You know, when as as brave as I, his he and his wife were to, not unlike Sarah Fawcett, to show us all what the ravages of cancer do to people and to please use that as a cautionary tale. 
Mr. Ebert, bless his sweetheart, when he was done, he was he was in rough shape. And that is precisely what would have happened to me had I not taken care of this. So wow. my story is a positive one, and I get a chance to tell it, thanks to people like you. It's a fantastic story, and you have also become a spokesperson, the official spokesperson for the yeah. Cancer Awareness Campaign, which the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance, HNCA, which also we will put in our show notes for this episode. And you have a chance and a platform to tell people, hey, if something's not right, get it checked out. If you have any kind of weird thing going on, please have it looked at. It's free, practically, if not, and it's well worth the time to to do it right because if again i've thankfully have not had that type of challenge i've had other things i have struggled with crohn's disease for several years and i thought at one point i had stomach cancer because of the symptoms i was having and i'm looking at my five and a half year old going dear god so to speak what what am i going to do you know i'm 45 years old i can't imagine something happening, you know, to myself, uh, let alone my son. And so I connect with you so well on this level because it's, it's important. So it's okay to be overly conscious. I feel when it comes to your health and to, you know, take a look at things and go, okay, what's going on with my body. So let's talk about the Alliance that you're a part of. How did you get connected with them and, and what is your role with them specifically for those who might not be aware? Thank you. And first of all, uh, look, folks, you're listening to somebody with respect to Brett, who has been very forthcoming about his Crohn's. Crohn's is tough. It is. Boy, is that tough. I, I not would have not had to deal with that, but I have very close friends who do. And, you know, I know that I do know what the possibilities are. I certainly know that what that entails, depending upon how bad it can be. All of that, and that, of course, you to, to the extent there's genetic predisposition, you know, all of that you look at through the eyes of your child. Of course you do. I never had to deal with that. My kid was grown. So God bless you, man. That's You're fighting the good fight. And, and that, that right there, what Brett and others go through in their own quiet way, but utterly heroic way, folks, is what courage is about. And he is demonstrating that to his child. But to your question, I, um, yeah, I uh, uh, am a the spokesperson or spokestune for the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance, and their website is headandneck.org, headandneck.org. Um, and uh, my cancer, like Michael Douglas, who was the spokesperson for the same organization as myself a couple of years ago, and Jim Kelly, the former quarterback and Hall of Famer uh, for the Buffalo Bills, had been the same spokesperson for the same organization as I. We have um, a type of cancer that is uh, uh, the result of the human papillomavirus, for which young women uh, had been um, asked to be inoculated of the vaccine Gardasil to prevent um, cervical cancer. And it turns out now that head and neck cancers of this type have surpassed cervical cancers around the world. Uh, as a result of the human papillomavirus. And it is both deadly, 
but utterly treatable. The yes. problem with the problem is uh, not unlike ovarian cancer or pancreatic cancer. Isn't it, isn't it odd? I mean, we talk about cancer and it's, my God, you can get cancer of the eyelash. It seems like, Jesus Christ, is there nothing that can't be cancerized? And forgive me for rambling, but it just kind of after a while, your mind just explodes. Yeah. Right? But nonetheless, um, cancers of the, of, of the ovaries or the pancreas, unfortunately, don't present themselves until often it's too late. Um, and that is not dissimilar to what happened to me. Now, I wasn't too late, but I had no pain, no trouble swallowing, no trouble singing, no trouble doing my gig. I had this lump on the left side of my neck, but you know, you do a little research and I'm a pretty thoughtful guy. I'm not an alarmist. It could have been cancer, could have been a low-grade infection. Well, I choose to believe that it was the latter. I did not think it was the type of cancer it was. I thought if it were a cancer, it might've been a lymph node cancer, lymphoma. No. So it took about six or seven months between the time that I discovered it on my neck and went to my uh, internist for uh, my yearly checkup. The cautionary tale is, and the upshot is, don't wait six months. I don't honestly know if it would have changed my treatment regimen, but you see my point. I should have gone to my doctor or an ENT, an ear, nose, and throat doc, immediately. Not out of panic, out of a an overabundance of caution, as you suggested. That was what I should have done, and that is what everybody should do if they have any uh, soreness in their mouth, a growth in their roof of their mouth, on their tonsil, pain that won't go away. In my case, I had none of that. I just had this lump that was otherwise innocuous. Um, but within literally, Brett, five seconds, I mean, five seconds of my regular internist whom I'd known for years, I said, hey, doc, what do you think about this? And you could have felt it too if I'd have put your fingers on it. Five seconds, he said, hmm, not good, Rob. And I said, come on. He said, no, no, this is not good. If it were an infection, it'd be kind of a soft, pliable. No, this is not good. You got to go see somebody yesterday. And he was right. But because the people who know what they're doing were not as lackadaisical as I, within 10 days, it was biopsy, diagnosed, and I was on my way. Uh, I would have saved myself six months by doing it you know, earlier, but the bottom line is exactly what you said and exactly what people continue to beat you virtually over the head with, folks. If you have a problem, unusual bleeding, anything, please, please, please get it checked out. You will not like the treatment, but you will like it better than having to look at your wife and children as you're checking out. So um, it, it, it's easy for me to say now because I've been through it, but I know precisely what I'm talking about because I know other people, I got to know other people who had the same, precisely the same cancer as I, who did not make it. And I was able to talk to them before they left. And um, it's a it's a, an important story. It really is, and I can't overemphasize enough to those listening that self care and self awareness is so important. And I, I just feel like that it's such a taboo topic on so many different levels. For some mm-hmm. reason, I don't know why, because nobody likes that. But until you have experienced it. And I mean, my mom, she right. is a three-time 
breast cancer survivor. So, uh, and that's, yeah. And that is really like unheard of on so many different levels. And you wrote a book about all of this voice lessons, how a couple of Ninja Turtles, Pinky and an Animaniac saved my life by yourself and Michael Fleeman. (laughs) And this book, we will make this, the link to this available in our show notes. And that was great. I just, <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, now, uh, wait, hang on, hang on, just hang on just a second. Folks, this is exactly why this is so great. All I did was say, that's right. And you did what you're doing now. You <laughs> smiled, you laughed, you can't help it. No, and you can't. You, you are even sharing with your child who was born when you, by account, by your account, you were 40. You already knew about Animaniacs, Pinky yes. in the Brain, Ninja Turtles, Jimmy Neutron, Mighty Mask, The Tick, um, Biker, my, all this stuff that I've Veggie Tales. We got to mention Veggie Tales. Right. Veggie Tales, um, Darkwing Duck, uh, um, Tiny Toons, Tasmania. Freakazoid, um, um, Goof Troop, all the things on which I've worked. And they mean just as much now to your boy. And when you get to watch them through his eyes, they rekindle something that is innate in you. And all I have to do is say, hey, God, right? And you smile. (laughs) And others in the car probably are putting their hand to their mouth and going, oh, my God, that's isn't that something? Yes. I, you don't know me, that you wouldn't recognize me. And it doesn't matter. It's not about me. I don't draw them. I don't write them. But I get to be the point person. And this utter joy, impossible, innate joy that is connected to these characters is transformative and intergenerational. It's crazy. Yes. And I'm so proud to be able to do it. It's, it's the coolest thing in the world, Brett. It's it's unbelievable. I also catch some of the adult humor, too, <laughs> that is in, in there now. And I'm like, yeah. wow, I can't believe it. Uh, nothing, you know, too uh, risque, but enough to go, okay, they really do this sure. in cartoons. And we assumed it for years, but now I watch Animaniacs with my son. He's laughing and having a lot of fun. But uh, I'm looking at it going, oh, I totally get this reference or I totally get that reference. And uh, it just was such a classic, in my opinion. I mean, you've done so many things, but really, you know, that I think is what resonates with my generation and my childhood and really even references that we say, you know, this, that or the other and in this book that you wrote, we, we cover a lot of that ground and we, we get to get inside of your brain, you know, and, and kind of talk about all of these experiences, you know, and uh, from when you're diagnosed to, uh, you know, and you label these chapters so fantastically like Welcome to Toontown, Cowabunga, Zany to the Max, you know, Pinky and the Brain take over yeah. the cancer ward. Uh, and so... You've you've taken all of this and you have turned it around and you are now you've had a new lease on life, but you are you're kind of taking everything that has been given to you and now you are giving it back 
so to speak, to people and to folks. And all of this transcends, you know, generations long, literally, from when you started this uh, to now. And it's just absolutely spectacular. And and yes, I am smiling a lot <laughs> when I hear these voices because Aww. it just, it's it's a part of me and a part of everybody who's listening. I, I, everybody yeah. knows who Animaniacs, you know, Jimmy Neutron. Yeah. It's all so uh, spectacular. I, you're, you're- it is, and thank you for your incredible praise. And I, re- you were, I'm so grateful you mentioned him because the guy who really deserves the credit is my my co-writer Mike Fleeman. Um, uh, it took about I don't know six months of me. It was essentially like a self <clears throat> therapy, uh, therapizing, sure. or therapeutic, whatever, um, because I would uh, go over specific parts of my career, my life, and uh, record them for Mike and his very deep questions. And as I'm doing it, I'm thinking, you know, as much as I'm proud of to do this and I'm very flattered and I got a real live book deal, is anybody going to really get this is just a lot of rambling. I mean, it's a, I love it and I have had these wonderful experiences and I'm grateful, but are people good? But man, I'm telling you, when you put that stuff in the hands of a person who knows how to construct a book, I, I learned the art of writing, uh, not how to do it but to appreciate it. Obviously mm-hmm. I've been a, you know, a fan of the classics in my whole life and I read and I enjoy and I understand the art form, but when it's in my own context and somebody takes what to me, it, you know, exciting things for people who might be quote civilians, but just the day in the life of a guy who lives in Hollywood and happens to be an actor. Oh my goodness. It is a wonderful book and a very good read because of Mike. The book is not a compendium of, and then I did, and then I did, and then I won an Emmy, and then I won a Peabody, and you perhaps you remember me for, and then I bought this car. I, I was asked by very well-meaning fans for years uh, if I was going to write a book, and I certainly accepted the compliment and the spirit in which it was given. But I thought, you know, the last thing the world needs, Brett, is another celebrity memoir from an actor who's not a celebrity. And like I said, it's not false modesty. I'm good at my job. I should be. But the characters are the famous ones. It's not like being Jim Carrey. And I was the mask, by the way. I, I, was, I just thought I was the uh, cartoon version of the mask for CBS. So I got to be Jim Carrey for a lot less money. But, um, but once I had cancer, and especially throat cancer, and trust me, the, the cosmic joke was not lost on me. Because it turns out that all of these characters uh, that I was fortunate enough to perform have brought truly immeasurable joy to, I would submit, millions of people, certainly thousands of sick and dying children who would receive a call from Yakko or Raphael. And again, it's not just me. We all do it. It's celebrities, athletes, whomever. But to the extent that, quote, my characters, close quote, would be needed, you know, of course, they were always there. And it is a privilege. I've worked really hard and a long time for the privilege of being able to do that. And it turns out that when I was going through my cancer experience, (laughs) often the parents of these sweet babies who didn't make it would get in touch with me once they found out. And it was after the fact, didn't put it on Facebook, didn't make it up because I didn't need sympathy. Um, I didn't want it. Um, but once people started finding out, my goodness, the number of people who came literally out of the woodwork and say, Rob, you may not remember, but here's a picture of you speaking to my little boy 
you know, six weeks before he died. And you're on, you know, you can't, here's the video of him talking to Carl Weezer. Here's my, my sweet daughter, Jessica, talking to Yakko, whatever. And I mean, over and over and over and over again, or people would say, you spoke to me when I had, um, you know, more importantly, Raphael spoke to me when I had uh, leukemia. I'm now 37 and I hear I got my own kids, but I just want you to know what it meant. And these people shared all this information with me that I'd forgotten about. And so that's what the subtitle is about. These characters literally helped save my life. They, they reminded me that I had so much joy and so much uh, uh, laughter and, and humor uh, in my own head, in my own life that by extension brought it to thousands of others. These are just people that I connected with, not to mention people whom I've never had the chance to talk to who might've had the same story. And I thought, shame on me. Not only if I, if I feel sorry for myself, but if I don't do what I'm doing now, this is, how can you not do this? But let's just say from a purely human standpoint, if you say we're all in this together, well, Jesus Christ, I don't know of any way that I could really live that axiom than by doing what I'm doing now. I won't be able to reach everybody, but I'm reaching more than I did yesterday. Thanks to you. And every time it happens, it's worth it. Um, so you're talking to a lottery winner and I have to tell you long before my cancer, I knew it. And, um, as I get older, I, you start to look at things through the prism of time and you think, wow, this is really, this is why I'm here. How about that? And we all have those epiphanal moments and I'm getting a chance to live mine right now. So uh, I'm really a lucky guy. Wow. And, and what a story you have, Rob. It's so fantastic. And just the humility and the humbleness that you display and just the pure honesty and candidness of your experiences and, and realizing what you had and now taking all of that and giving back to people, to your fans is highly remarkable on every single level, but also it seems rare, which it, for whatever various reasons it might be, it's really insignificant. But the point that I'm making is, is that it's just, it's great. It's so beautiful and wonderful. And you're taking your Thank story, you. absolutely, and you're making it known to everybody. And you've you've had a career that has spanned literally decades. You're not concerned about people knowing who you are per se, but more so of just bringing that joy and the creativity of your voices and all of these human characters that you've created that we all are familiar with on some sort of level. And I thank you for your time and, and just your, your, your willingness to be with us here today on the show. Um, one last question, and I think we probably already answered this, but just kind of as a caveat, looking back on your career and all of your yeah. experiences, do you have any moments of regret? Do you have any moments where there was something that you wished you would have done differently? That's the first part. And the second part is, do you have any advice that you would give the younger Rob uh, starting out? in the industry and beginning this fantastic and iconic career as an actor? Boy, this is great. What existential, beautifully existential questions. Um, let's take the, lat, the second one first. What I would tell young Rob, and I think most people as they get older, 
have said things like this is that is that not to worry so much. And I know it sounds trite, especially in this particular day and age. Um, I think that I would say uh, what a number of people who have written books about this subject say is that if you choose to focus on uh, a challenge or a difficulty or a bump in the road or a disease or Crohn's disease or uh, bankruptcy or divorce, whatever the things are that, that ding us up in life, um, if you really do uh, and are able to look at them as opportunities, that's why I referenced that earlier in our conversation about the zeitgeist, about what's going on now. This is a glorious opportunity, the likes of which I've not seen in my 64 years on this rock, to literally be in this together, to really understand what each other's issues are, are and do the hard work necessary. And I don't mean everybody has to write a check for a million bucks. I can't. Not everybody can march every day. People are unable to work. All of those things. However, the world is looking at these opportunities. And if, if one doesn't take notice and choose wisely now, when are we? And so I would have told my younger self, don't worry so much. Yeah, you're going to be broke. So what? I was imbued with a sense of gratitude from the moment I was born. And I have to give my parents all the credit for my siblings and I um, were told pretty clearly, look, you were born into a family who loves you. And let's be clear, especially today, if we're really going to be honest, and I'm not trying to make this uh, too uh, controversial, but I had no issues with racial problem, anything like that. I was born to a family, typical Caucasian American family, and my parents said, you can do anything you want to do, just like anybody else. And I believed them. And they were right. And I didn't have to deal with any but getting out of my own way. I expected the door to get slammed in my face. I didn't take it personally. I didn't like it. I just read what I'd read and heard about it. So was it tough? Tough is owning a farm. Tough is pouring hot tar on a, on a freeway in August in Phoenix. Tough is being a police officer. Tough is being maybe even a, an African-American police officer in this. Do you know what I mean? Tough is so relative. Um, so that when people ask me, was your road tough? No, it was my choice. And every time, and there were lots of them, and there may be again, when things went south, I'd give myself about 18 seconds to feel sorry for myself and say, well, who ever shoved the gun in your mouth to be an actor, hotshot? Nobody. You're here, and you didn't have to worry about a lot of stuff that other people worry about. People with a mess of a family, with physical issues, with race issues, with religious issues, with people they lose relationships because they want to be an actor and their parents say, oh my God, if you go to Hollywood, you're committing a sin. All of that stuff that we don't even know, which leads me back to my you know, point about, please try to, before you judge people, please do take a moment to try to understand what they're going through. Because I never had to deal with any of that. I dealt with the consequences of my own choices. And so I am all about personal responsibility. Um, and in terms of things that I regret, not one, not one. I, I have minor issues that 
I wish I hadn't been this way to my, uh, to, to, uh, my, I was married when I was very young. And, um, the other lady to whom I was married is fine and all of that. Sorry that, you know, didn't work out. It was not acrimonious, but it was uncomfortable, all that, but I learned. And so did she, I don't have anything else. Everything I've done professionally is available on YouTube. And I love it when folks utterly well-meaning say, wow, I bet you regret that. Not once. I took the paycheck. I had no problem cashing it. How dare I go back and besmirch something that a bunch of people took millions of somebody else's dollars and tried really hard to do something and it didn't work. And I was part of it. And I'm going to go back and say, yeah, try to get that off YouTube. No, 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 no. (laughs) Not at all. So I have I have no regrets. I try to be as authentic as I can. I am as fallible as anyone else. Um, I shut my mouth when I'm right and I apologize when I'm wrong. And I think that that is a good way for me to move through my life. And to the extent that that makes a difference in anybody else, great. But um, I, I'm a blue collar worker factory baby. And I, I am so grateful to be in this position and again, this is what I chose to do. I'm one of the few people in the world who can literally say, I get paid every day to do something I would have gotten in trouble for in high school, and I would do it for free. I'd be working in theater on the weekends, or I'd be playing with my you know, um, um, Viagra commercial-like rock and roll band on the weekends if, if, I were, if I had a normal job during the week. I get it. So for me to complain about anything except you know, the the, st- the stuff we can all complain about, the state of the world and the way we'd like things to get better, but not just complain, examine ourselves and say, okay, you're 64 years old. You don't know it all. What can you do to be a better human? What can you do? You're a nice guy. You need to be a better guy. And that's, that's, that's a difference. And I am in a glorious position to learn and to the extent people like you give me the opportunity, I'm beating the same dead horse, but I can share my experience. And I, how much better can life be, really? You know? I don't so, think it uh, can be. Yeah, I, I don't think it can be. And this has been one of the best interviews that I've done since I've been doing this. And I feel like there's just so much great content and so many valuable lessons and so many nuggets that we can pull out of thank this. You. Absolutely. Rob, thank you. And and before we, we, we wrap here, all of this information, all these organizations and books, all of that will be available in our show notes. And also just Google his name uh, on YouTube and every single thing that he has done <laughs> will come up. Right. You can Google his name. His name is Robert Paulson, for those of you who are uh, Fight Club fans. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Good reference yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Uh, Rob well, Paulson. Tell you what, I, my friend Carl Weezer is very excited that you would ask Rob to be on. And, um, and, and as Rob says, laughter is the best medicine. The cool thing is you can't OD and the refills are free. fantastic rob thank you for joining me on the podcast today i really appreciate it my great privilege thank you brett that brings today's episode to an end thanks for choosing to stop by and listen 
If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend and hitting the subscribe button. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.